So there are certain days, certain days we've all had that changed everything for us. Maybe it was uh, the birth of your first kid and that moment where the doctor put them in your hands for the first time and you didn't exactly know how, but you knew in that moment everything was about to change. Maybe it was the day you got married. Maybe it was the day you graduated college. Uh, Maybe it was the day a parent died. Maybe it was the day your spouse walked out on you. There are days that we have that change everything. Moments that come barreling toward us and knock our lives in an entirely new direction. Well, for the centurion standing before the cross in the passage that Dan just read, this was one of those days. This centurion woke up that morning like every morning, fed the dog, packed a lunch, went to work for another uh, crucifixion of some random insignificant person who he had never heard of. But what he saw as he gazed into the wonder of Jesus hanging on the cross, changed everything. The centurion, Luke says, seeing what had happened, praised God, said, surely this was a righteous man. He saw something in the cross that for him changed everything. And if we can see what he saw, it will change everything for us too. And so for the next few minutes, I want to ask three questions about the cross in this one verse here. So that like this man, we too can see and praise what Good Friday is all about. Three questions. What happened, who's it for, how do I respond? So first, what happened? Luke uh, says the centurion saw what had happened and praised God. So what happened on the cross? Well, I think Luke actually wants us to see two different interconnected answers to that question. From the, the facts as they happened, this centurion, who, remind you, he, was, he would have been someone completely desensitized at this point to the horrors of crucifixion. This man, as he watches the suffering, the anguish of Jesus' dying moments, he saw something utterly unlike anything he'd ever seen before. Normally, when somebody's crucified, uh, there is spite, there's rage, There's screams of agony and torment, but this time, it was all different. As Jesus is hanging from a cross, this man watches as Jesus does the unthinkable, as he forgives his killers, gives compassion to a dying criminal, Praise to his father, gives up his life in 
agony-filled confidence. It, it broke all the categories in this man's head. And in verse 47, the centurion utters the scene's final verdict. Righteous. He saw everything that had happened. He took it all in. And he said, surely this was a righteous man. That one word, righteous, becomes an open door into us discovering the deeper meaning that Luke wants us to see of what's happening on Good Friday. Uh, in Isaiah 52 and 53, God says he has a solution to our biggest problem. He has a solution to the problem of our sin. God is going to send a righteous servant, someone who is going to come to do one thing, to be crushed as punishment for sin. Now, for whose sin? For his sin? No, this man will be righteous. He will be innocent. He has no sin. So for, for whose sin then is he coming to be crushed for? Ours. This servant will be a substitute for us. He will stand in the place that we should have. He will bear the guilt of our failure. He will be pierced on account of our disqualifications. He will be crushed on account of our worst regrets. And by his wounds, we will be healed. And Luke is saying, that is what is happening on the cross. Jesus already planted the seed. In the chapter just before this, in Luke 22, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53 and says, this must be and is about to be fulfilled in me. And then at the cross, the centurion standing before him utters the scene's final word, gives the final verdict on it all and says, righteous, this man was righteous. And in Acts 3, also written by Luke, the apostle Peter then lands the plane when preaching to the same crowd of Jews who are crucifying Jesus right here, tells them that Jesus who you killed that was God's righteous servant. What's happening on the cross? The Lord is laying on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Here's the good news of Good Friday. You don't have to bear your sin one moment longer. Jesus is dying, not as our second chance, not as our clean slate, not as our do-over, but as our substitute. Jesus, in the scandal of divine love, is standing in our place, taking what we rightly deserved and sending it away forever. When Isaiah 53 says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, that's, that line there is actually referring back to the day of atonement in the book of Leviticus. When the priest would lay their hand on a spotless lamb to symbolize transferring the guilt of God's people onto this lamb who was then walked out far, 
far, far away into the woods to never be seen again. When you trust in Jesus on the cross, your guilt is laid on his head and carried far, far away to never be seen again. Because of the cross, you are freed from your past. You are freed from your worst failures. You are freed from your biggest disgraces. It has all been carried away far off into the wilderness of hell. So you don't have to bear it one moment longer. So what are you doing with your guilt tonight? Are you offloading it on other people? Offload it on Jesus. Are you letting it nag you with regret? Lay your past on Christ so it can never come back to haunt you again. Are you minimizing your guilt? Are you trivializing it? Are you saying it, it really doesn't matter? Everyone's just overreacting. See the overwhelming size of it as it crushes Jesus, not you. Here is God's will for you. In this centurion's words, don't bear your sins a moment longer tonight. Collapse onto Jesus, whose crucified, outstretched arms are more than strong enough to hold the weight of the worst you've ever done. So what happened? A substitute. Second, who's it for? Everyone. Luke shows two different types of people, both responding out of hearts moved by what they are seeing as Jesus dies on the cross. In near parallel fashion, the centurion, he said, saw what happened saw what took place and praised. The crowd saw what took place and grieved. And each of these two responses prove just how much the cross is really for everyone. You see, you can never be so good that you don't need the cross. That's what the crowd's showing us. I mean, think about it. These people were the Jews. They were God's chosen people in this God-forsaken Roman empire. They were the only ones, the, the few, the brave, the proud, who were following God's law, who were living a holy life. And when Jesus comes and tells them to repent, they nail him to a cross. And yet as they see the cross, as they look into the wonder of grace before them, it starts to click. Maybe we do need grace after all. You see, you and I, we are aware of about 5% of our sin. There is so much underneath the surface that we don't even know is there. Uh, one time at our old church office, uh, the pipe broke underneath the building and all the toilets stopped working. And so we called in a, uh, a plumber and he was working there for a while. And at some point he came into my office and said, 
Uh, do you have any roach killer? Because I think you have a roach nest under one of your toilets. And so I went and found the roach spray, and, and now I am standing in the doorway of this tiny bathroom with this plumber as he pulls off the toilet from the ground. And I'm not joking, about a hundred roaches instantly come spewing up out of this hole. And I am spraying them. I am stomping on them. I am slipping on their dead carcasses. Now, I had just used that toilet that morning. completely unaware that I was perched atop a roach nest. (laughs) There is a roach nest of sin in our hearts that, believe me, we don't even realize we are living on top of. There is sin we're not even aware of that robs Christ of his glory, that grieves the heart of God, and that hurts the people we love, which we need the blood of Jesus for. You know, the Christian life is a growing understanding that there is nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. And what's at the heart of the gospel? Jesus, not me. A substitute on whose shoulders was placed all of my sin, not just the couple cockroaches that I can see, but the nest in my heart that I'm completely unaware of. Praise God. You can never be so good you don't need the cross. And you can never be so bad that you can't receive the cross. You see, that's what the centurion's showing us. I mean, this man was the farthest you could get from God's people. He's a commander of the pagan Roman occupiers who just personally oversaw the crucifixion of God's son. And Luke says that when he saw what happened, he praised. You can never be so bad that you can't receive the cross. See, some of us came in here tonight feeling utterly defeated by our sin. We feel stricken, smitten, pierced, and crushed under the weight of it. And your biggest fear is that you would be exposed and receive from other Christians the rejection that you're assuming you will receive from God who can't possibly still be gracious to you in the gospel anymore. If that's you tonight, you need to be reminded of your substitute. Listen to how Martin Luther counsels us to talk to ourselves. It's from his commentary on Galatians. Says, when the devil accuses us and says, you are a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer, because you, I am, because you say I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sins. On the contrary, when you say that I'm a sinner, 
You give me armor and weapons against you, so by with your own sword, I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet, for Christ died for sinners. As often as you object that I am a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ, my Redeemer, on whose shoulders and not mine lay all my sins. So when you say I'm a sinner, you don't terrify me. You comfort me immeasurably. You will never shock God with your sin. He knows far more about it than you ever will. And you will never be so far gone that you can't receive from him the sin-bearing grace of the cross where your punishment was placed on Jesus and his wounds will heal you. So what happened? A substitute. Who's it for? Everyone. Lastly then, how do I respond? Praise. Luke says the centurion saw all that had happened, and what did he do? He praised. Now, it might sound a little insignificant, but praise in Luke's gospel is actually a verbal sign that pops up anytime Luke wants to show an element of God's plans of grace being fulfilled in Jesus. You can see it all throughout his entire book. In fact, it starts and ends with the most unlikely of people, from a virgin teen mom to a pagan Roman soldier praising God for what they see him doing in Jesus. Praise is the natural response of a heart that's been touched by the breathtaking compassion of God. It is the spontaneous reflex of someone who in their deepest need has been met with the unanticipated embrace of the gospel. And so the cross then, the cross should be the object of our loudest, our liveliest, our most earnest praise for what God has done for us in Jesus. On the cross, Jesus Christ, our substitute, died in our place to lay on himself everything accusing us, everything disqualifying us, everything damning us, everything shaming us. He took every regret, every failure, every tear, and he laid it on himself, not you, was crushed under the weight of it so you can live. The centurion saw it and praised. Are you praising the cross tonight? Uh, Rosemary Miller, who's the wife of Pastor Jack Miller, uh, went through a season in her life where she knew all about the gospel. She'd get a perfect score on a theology exam, teach a whole bunch of classes on it, and yet the reality of the gospel hadn't come home yet. It hadn't touched her heart. She wasn't praising the inexhaustible love of God in the gospel, and this is how she described it. I knew the lyrics of the gospel, but I hadn't heard the music of the gospel. 
She knew the lyrics. She knew it was all about, but she didn't hear the music. The gospel didn't make her dance. Does the cross make you dance? Or do you know the lyrics, but you're not hearing the music? In St. Louis, uh, there was uh, once two boys who were out one summer day and they were playing down by the Mississippi River on the banks of the river. And uh, around them were all these kind of sandbag levees uh, that were holding up sand from previous floods that had happened. And uh, as they were playing, uh, one of those levees broke. And suddenly the boys found themselves quickly being swallowed by this quicksand, just submerged by it. When they didn't come home, eventually their parents called the police, they went out and looked for them, and and eventually some paramedics found one of the boys almost completely submerged in quicksand. And they started asking him, as they're pulling him out, where's your brother? Have you seen your brother? Do, Do you know where your brother is? Said, I'm standing on his shoulders. His brother, realizing what was about to happen, hoisted him up and was crushed so he could live. Jesus Christ is that brother who on Good Friday hoisted you on his shoulders and was crushed so you could live. See that and dance. Amen.